Thanks, Dave. Yeah, so we're continuing our series of imperfect people in the hands of a perfect God. And uh, I, uh, I just wanted to begin by I was reflecting as we, uh, as you normally would, of uh, you know what to be speaking about. And uh, I want to share with you a few, quite a few years ago, uh, I had to undertake the, the daily challenge of walking across Westminster Bridge. I don't know if you know it, Westminster Bridge is, if you're coming from south of the river, so kind of Waterloo, you're going across the bridge straight towards Big Ben and the Houses of Parliament and you're walking away from the London Eye just on the other side. It is madness and it has been for many, many years. I have seen all sorts on that bridge, all sorts. I have seen snakes I have seen a monkey, I have seen clowns, I've seen Shrek, Mickey Mouse, I've, I've seen Eastern European con artists all the way along the bridge with spotters on the curb, up and down the bridge looking for the police while they're taking £20 notes from, from tourists and passers-by. It is, a, it is a popular place for, I believe, Chinese brides. So you see Chinese brides in their wedding dress getting pictures taken with Big Ben or the London Eye. I, I don't want to uh, um, envisage, or I can probably imagine the amount of wedding photos I've crashed. I, have, I am probably in quite a number of Chinese wedding photos, because if you're just trying to get to work, you don't really care about spoiling a photo, if I'm honest. You just get in. But that whole bridge... Is, is, is trying to get your attention. It's trying to grab your interest. It's trying to grab your eye. Whether it's the Chinese brides, snakes, Mickey Mouse, or, uh, or, or jugglers. You know, is trying to get your attention. And I'm always fascinated and struck that we have a God, the God of the universe, that desires our attention. And tries still and has done for thousands of years to get our attention. It, it, it matters to him. For, 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 in my mind, for some strange reason, it, it matters to him that we have his attention, that he eagerly desires for us to be listening to him, to be focusing on him. It's not that he forces us or mandates, but he, there's in his desire and appetite for us to pay attention. You know, if you just, it's very easy now, you kind of have to, you know, back in the day you'd have to do this with concourses and many, many different books. But if, for example, if you just go into your Bible app um, and there should be kind of a, it says discover or search and you just type the word attention into it and you can see verse after verse, especially when we look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Job. You know, Job, pay attention, Job, listen to me. Again, uh, you know, give ear, uh, hear my voice, this is in Isaiah, give attention, hear my speech. Uh, you know, Job, again, I give you my attention to the sound of my cry. There's verse after verse after verse of God eagerly desiring for our attention, to be listening to what he is saying, listening to his instructions, his commands, his heart and desire for our lives. And I wanted really today to pick up on where God really got somebody's attention. 
And it follows quite nicely from last week because it's exactly last week. I'm going to talk on Moses. I had a, uh, just before Nathan preached last Sunday, uh, you know, I asked him, you know, in mind, well, I just want to know, uh, who, who are you preaching about? And he says to me, Moses. And he could probably see in my face straight away, oh, I, I was thinking of doing, I was going to do Moses as well. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, so, so, so what, so what? Well, Moses lived, lived quite a long life. What part of Moses? Moses in the burning bush. Oh, okay, all right, brilliant, great. <laughs> but but when, when Nathan started preaching, he started from Exodus 3, but he only started from about verse 8 or 9. So there's, there's, there's a few verses at the beginning of Exodus 3 that I, can, I, I felt it would be useful to unpack, particularly of how God got Moses' attention. So Exodus chapter 3, and it's just verses 1 to 4. So Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the mist of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Just a couple of things in the first two verses. We read that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law. He was doing so quite in a, in a wild area. The passage doesn't tell us this, but we know that Moses, from the time that he fled Egypt up until this point of the burning bush, is actually around four decades, of about 40 years, that Moses spent with his wife Zipporah and her family tending the flock. 40 years of, of, of shepherding. You could imagine walking in the field, in the wilderness, in the plains, on his own, in his own thoughts. What's really interesting is that after, even after 40 years, he is tending, he is um, keeping the flock of his father-in-law. After 40 years, he, he hasn't established his own flock, his own household, so to speak. If we think about his forefathers in and around that area, the likes of Abraham, Jacob and others, you know, after 40 years, he's still keeping the flock of his father-in-law. We can reasonably start to think, if this is of a man of... Why is that? After 40 years, he's still not open or broken out into his own household, his own, his own flock as such. Some of the thoughts that could be going through his head of his past in Egypt, of fleeing because of murdering the Egyptian slave driver... He could be thinking, I'm unworthy to have my own wealth. Unworthy to be breaking out. You know, this, this, is, this is my lot. This is, what, uh, this is my expectancy of what, God, of, of what is just my life. Just keeping underneath my father-in-law's and my, my, my uh, wife's family's household. 
There could be feelings of inadequacy. Who am I with my history to be leading a household by myself, breaking away, leading a flock and a, 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 a business, basically? There could be feelings of fear, still fearful of being found out, of being taken away, not wanting to put his head over the parapet, just keeping a very low profile within his father-in-law's household. You can start to imagine a man spending that much time on his own for, for decades, those thoughts going through his head, perhaps of unworthiness, of inadequacy, of fear. And then what we read is, is actually really interesting, in particularly in, in verse 3 and 4, that he sees this burning bush and it's not consumed. He knows the land well. He, he knows that it's not a trick of a light. He knows that it's perhaps something worth investigating. And we read at the start of verse 3 that Moses says, I will turn aside to see this great sight. And in the beginning of verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, then he called him. It's a really interesting sequence. We wouldn't, if we, if we just read that verse, we wouldn't bat an eyelid. If you look at those verses in front of you, verse, the verse 3 and the beginning of verse 4, we wouldn't bat an eyelid if it read, he saw that the bush was burning and it wasn't consumed. And then God called to him Moses Moses. But there's a, there's a sequence of events that I feel and believe is really intentional here. Of Moses seeing the burning bush, turning aside, and his action, his move towards it, before God speaks, before God shares and responds. Moses makes that move, turns aside to the bush, and we then read that God saw that. God saw that Moses turns aside, then calls him Moses, Moses. It mattered to God. Moses' action, Moses' move, Moses' Moses turning towards that burning bush mattered to God. Without Moses, without Moses turning aside, without Moses choosing to take an action, to take and move in provocation to that sign, the burning bush simply is a natural phenomenon. That burning bush stays a natural phenomenon. It required, demanded an action, a move on Moses' part before God moved and responded, engaged with uh, what he was going to do. In our own lives, that, that, that sign that you may feel or provocation of the spirit or tug in your heart and in your soul, that coincidence that you may encounter, it stays exactly that. It stays just a tug. It stays just a coincidence. It stays just a sign unless we are an active participant in moving towards it in responding visibly and, and, uh, and spiritually towards that, for God to engage and respond to. 
We've seen over the last few weeks the likes of Moses, of Jacob, of Rahab, of Naomi, of Gideon, all powerfully demonstrating that God calls. God calls you, demands attention, regardless of of background, of status, of of any flaw or, or, or deficiency. God calls and still calls today. And it matters for, again, for whatever reason, but we believe in a God whose will is perfect and wisdom is perfect, that our response, our active participation, our move towards him matters to him. So a few specifics. That when we read of when God sees that Moses turned aside, he calls him by name, Moses Moses. It was personally for him. The emphasis in the Hebrew in Hebrew is always uh, is always intentional. Moses, Moses. We it wasn't, you know, or you passing by. Moses, Moses. We don't serve a God who tries a, a scattergun approach. Like a, uh, you know, someone who's in, in sales and shoots off a thousand emails just in the hope that two of them stick. He doesn't take a scattergun approach. He is intentional. He is personable. His way and will is perfect in the way that he reaches out and demands your individual attention. You're not kind of copied into the email. You know, I've got a, I, I've got a rule set up actually for my emails where all of my, if, if I'm copied into an email, it just gets sent to a, a separate folder. It's actually quite a good tip. I'd encourage everyone to, you know, because you, you, you can suddenly get copied into a lot of emails, but you are not copied in to this, uh, to an email or to a sign of, in the hope that someone would pick it up. We serve a God who is intentional, who is personable, whose will is perfect in the way that he actively reaches out to each of us in our own own separate, succinct ways. Also, we sometimes forget in 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 the retelling of this account, the dramatic account of the burning bush, that this was actually done in quite a mundane setting. It was actually done in Moses' place of work. He was out there, just in the wilderness with the flock, that he had done a hundred, a thousand times over 40 years. For him, run-of-the-mill, daily, mundane work. And that is where God majestically and, and, and fantastically uh, made himself known. But it was in Moses' place of work. What, what is our expectation of, of, of hearing from God, of seeing or, 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 or appreciating those tangible signs? Is it predominantly gathering here today at a Christian conference after a diligent prayer meeting? Or do we have a heart and a, an expectation and anticipation 
of God revealing his plan of himself. His plan or a sign for us to be moving in the mundane. When we're doing housework, when we're with friends perhaps, when we are in the workplace, do we have ears, heart, eyes and, and a heart open to these signs? We're very rarely going to get a burning bush. Very rarely going to get um, swallowed by a whale. But God has shown in my life and I'm sure others reaching in all areas for us to be open, expectant, anticipating those coincidences, those signs, those words, those tugs on our heart and spirit. And it requires, going back to the verses 3 and 4, requires action on our side that God will respond to. It is, it is curious, that sequence of events. God could have easily just declared in a booming voice as Moses was walking by. He could have generated a, a gust of wind to pull Moses towards the burning bush. But we read that sequence. Moses took the action, the move to turn aside. God saw that movement and then engaged, then spoke to him. There is something powerful in our movement towards God that God responds to. Nathan made a good point last week when he said that sometimes we, we, we wrap procrastination up in spiritual language. We wrap procrastination up in spiritual language. But there is something powerful in the way that we react to, the way that we speak, the way that we move to God's invitation. Let's move. Let's move in ever-increasing circles without discounting yourself or disqualifying yourself on the, 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 the call that God has on our lives. And be ever assured, ever, ever uh, faithful to the fact that your God, your Father God will respond when he sees that move. He will respond when he sees you make that move towards him. He is faithful. He is diligent in this. A few points just then in closing as well. Moses' first words are key. He sees, he turns aside to the burning bush. He hears Moses, Moses, and his first words are, here I am, here I am. It is a familiar refrain that we see in the likes of Abraham and Jacob and Samuel and Isaiah. Here I am. It's not just that those words, here I am, aren't just saying to God, I am here to listen to what is being said, but I am ready to do what needs to be done. Here I am to listen to what is being said and to do what needs to be done. Albeit, as we know with Moses, perhaps with objections, with some, with some, with some issues, but ultimately we see time and time and again with Moses, with Samuel, with Isaiah, with Abraham and Jacob, people that say, here I am to God are men and women of action. They listen. They may object. They may 
uh, throw up disqualifications of themselves. It may not go smoothly. It may be a bit of what, uh, two steps forward, one step back. But people that say, here I am to God, are men and women of action that leads life, not just of listening to the word of God, but being an active participant and action in their life and moving their life towards the will and the call of God over their life. We read it, uh, James in the New Testament says in James chapter 1 to be listeners and doers of the word. Be doers of the word and not only hearers. When you do so, you deceive yourselves. If, ever, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now that is so much easier said than done. It is, it is difficult, it is a challenge to not just be a listener of the word of God, but also to be a doer. It's, for, for me personally, or maybe for many of you here, it's, it's, it's easier to uphold the belief and uphold truth around Jonah and the whale. It's easier to believe that there was a man swallowed by a whale, that Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and the lion's mouth was shut. Easier to believe the miracles of Christ in the virgin birth. Easier to believe that Joshua kept the sun and the moon still in the sky so Israel could win the battle. Easier to believe in a, a speaking donkey than it can be and is to follow the commands of Christ. Follow the instructions and the calls of God. It can be easier to believe in those accounts and those stories than to, to be moving towards the Spirit's provocation. To be responding to godly invent, inventations. To be following Christ's example day to day. It is difficult. I find it difficult. Easy to sit and read the Bible and believe quite astounding, quite fantastical accounts and stories of God moving, of miracles, of godly intervention. But moving daily in the provocation of the Spirit, turning aside to God to signs that he's maybe tugging and leading us to. That's difficult. That can be very difficult. But it's something that we could be all responding to. It's, and, it's, and it's very clear that this isn't meant to be a, a legalistic burden. Following an example of Christ... In ever increasing circles, in, you know, your 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 movement tools, but it's not meant to be here. Please hear me. It's not meant to be a, a legalistic burden to be weighing on your shoulders. Oh, woe, who am I? It's not meant to be in response of a, a, a or to satisfy a demanding God, 
or, or for us just to puff ourselves up and feel good about ourselves. But it is, as we read in, read in James, it is for the benefit of us to be living in freedom, to be living a blessed life, the very definition of an abundant life. Those that are in ever-increasing circles being led by the Spirit, being moved by the Spirit. So just in closing, how can we be responding to God's prodding, to God's uh, inclination and call, where we have a life that is just too full of too many coincidences, too full of too many tug or prod in your spirit and heart. I pray that for all of us, we are in ever-increasing measure being able to declare faithfully, here I am. Here I am. Not just to listen to what is being said, but to do what needs to be done. And to lay down that which disqualifies you or discounts you, that you feel could excuses you, to say, no, this isn't, this isn't for me. I'm not up for this. You've got the wrong person. I'm just kind of getting a, a, a copied email that's actually being sent to the, the rightful recipient. No. We all have a response to this. In our own specific, unique way that God speaks to us and has for us, to be saying, here I am. Here I am to listen to what is being said, Lord, and to do what needs to be done. Amen.